In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I saw two advertisements recently. The first said, Growing to Serve You Better. And it was on the side of a truck accessory store vehicle. The second was planting seeds for your success. And it was on a real estate agency billboard. I was struck by how we continue to use what might be considered agricultural metaphors to describe ongoing business success. These signs that both referred to growth have a quite different setting than the parable that we hear from Matthew's Gospel today. The parable of the sower and the seed and the soil is told in all the synoptic Gospels, and each author relates it in just its own, his own unique way. And the fact that it is reported in all the synoptics expresses its importance. Now, farming in Palestine was and is hard work. The stony ground was unpredictable, and so the farmer had to scatter the seed indiscriminately across the landscape. When I think about seeds and planting, I go back to my childhood and a song, and I'm not sure whether it was my father, who was a fabulous gardener, or it was my grandmother who taught me this song. And this is the chorus, and I, I don't remember the, the uh, music to it, but these are the words to the chorus. And maybe you as a child, we're probably dating ourselves on this one, know the garden song by David Millette. It goes inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow, gonna mulch it deep and low, gonna make it fertile ground, inch by inch and row by row. Please bless these seeds I sow. Please keep them safe below till the rain comes tumbling down. Plant your rows straight and long. Season them with a prayer and song. Mother Earth will make you strong if you give her loving care. Inch by inch, row by row. That's not exactly how God's seed was sown. Rather, God's seed is random, haphazard, and most importantly, with great extravagance. And we see this in Jesus' parable. By this time in Jesus' ministry, the crowds had begun to follow him. And on this day, the landscape was so crowded that he finally had to get into a boat, push away from the shore, and begin to preach and speak to the assembly in parables. The very first parable, this very first parable is what we hear today. Now the first half of the gospel is Jesus telling the parable to the crowds. And the second half of the story is Jesus sort of expounding upon, explaining to the disciples and to his followers the meaning of the story, of the parable. And what we discover is that neither the parable nor the explanation 
is quite what it may seem. Throughout the centuries, the interpretations of Jesus' parables have been offered, and with each new interpretation comes new insights, a different way of seeing, perhaps even a distinctive way of sowing. If you remember, there, uh, the public broadcasting had a documentary called From Jesus to Christ, and they noted the following. When Jesus preached so strikingly in parables, he did not create a new literary genre. Rather, he made brilliant use of a genre which had already been of long tradition and which was familiar to all throughout the Mediterranean world. In Greece and Rome, parables were employed by rhetoricians and politicians and philosophers. Perhaps the most illustrious among those who made use of the parables were Socrates and Aristotle. In Israel, parables were uttered by prophets and wise women and men. They appear in the oldest books of the Hebrew scripture, and parables were often used by Jewish rabbis who were contemporaries of Jesus. Today's gospel is Jesus' first parable. It's about a sower, a master gardener, if you will, God. And God takes a handful of seeds from the seed pack and just tosses them out. They fall where they will. When I hear this beginning of this parable, I have to chuckle to myself about my deliberate and measured way in which I recently put in a garden. It's what's called a Vida Keyhole Garden, which is a native gardening technique in Africa, requiring less water and the ability to compost while you are gardening. There's a whole pamphlet that lays out the diagram of exactly how to prepare the plot and the soil for planting. No room for randomness. Jesus instead is so random in his seed distribution. The sower goes out and just lets the seed fly. Here, let's take some seed, he says. Toss it out and see what happens. It may be a random act for the seed to fall where it will, but the soil is anything but random. Matthew tells us there's at least four kinds of soil in which the seed or the good news of Jesus may fall. Some seeds fell on the pathway and immediately they were eaten up by the birds who were awaiting their arrival. There will be some people that simply have such hard hearts that the gospel is repelled. I believe that there are times in our lives when God's presence seems to go unnoticed or at least unattended to. Times when the good news may be rejected, even if it's only temporarily. Some seeds will fall on a rocky ground where the soil is shallow and the seeds have difficulty taking root. What happens to those people who hear God's word and respond to Jesus' love and then seem to sort of slip away. 
Matthew would say that the soil didn't have the depth that it needed for the roots of the word. God made flesh, Jesus, to develop. The seed of faith doesn't have the soil that it needs to get firmly rooted. And so the hot sun of temptation or fear or disbelief or anxiety or whatever beats down on that seed causes it to wither. I believe that the seed is still there. But something else is going to have to happen for the seed to germinate. Perhaps you've known people who have heard and accepted the message of Jesus but seem not to have any ongoing visible response. And then something happens. Maybe it's a crisis in their lives. And the seed begins to germinate. And you begin to see some changes in their lives. I don't know if that's happened to you, but it certainly has happened to me. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. The seed of the good news gets overwhelmed by other things in a person's life. Anything in our lives that becomes more important than God at work within us will impede our growth as Christians. When the word of the world takes precedent over God's word, then I know that my growth as a Christian is in jeopardy. The good news of God is freely spread out for all kinds of ground, most of which is not conducive to receptivity or growth. Does Jesus fret over the silence and the incomprehension and the lack of fruitful response? Does he lament the only one of four locales where the seed lands and shows any growth? Not so much. Nor is it recorded that Jesus suffered insomnia worrying about the seed. Jesus never worries about the seed because he depends on the utter reliability of his father. All appearances of and the ground notwithstanding. Faced with all of the reasons why he should not, he does. The reign of God will arrive despite all the obstacles. It will reach maturity and richness despite the staggering odds it faces. I wonder... I wonder about our sowing of God's love in today's environment. I wonder about my own, my own intentions, my decisions, my actions. I wonder if the seeds that I sow come out of my reliance on God. And the reading of Holy Scripture on a robust prayer life. I wonder if we can scatter the seeds of God's love and mercy and forgiveness and justice, trusting that God's kingdom will be present and God's will be done. What's really important is that tiny seed 
randomly and extravagantly thrown and takes root in the soil and bears fruit. God's love is thrown randomly and with abandon upon us. It can seep into our hearts and take root and begin to grow. What a a miraculous event it is that God loved us so much that he sent his son, the word of God, in the flesh to come to humanity as the seed of love. God offers again and again and again that seed to be planted within each of us. Presiding Bishop Michael Curry has extended an invitation to all Episcopalians to live into what he describes the way of love. He calls it part of the Jesus movement, part of becoming a beloved community. I imagine the practices that he outlines as seeds being planted within us to help us live out God's way of love. He talks about turning, to pause, to listen, and to choose to follow Jesus. So I ask, what practices help you turn again and again to Jesus Christ and the way of love? To learn, to reflect on Scripture each day, especially on Jesus' life and teachings. When will we set aside time to reflect on Scripture? to pray, to dwell intentionally with God daily. How will we do that? To worship. That's a hard one right now, isn't it? Because we think of worship as gathering together, and we are gathered together, not physically. How will we find ways to worship in this time when things are so in such upheaval? To bless. How will we share our faith and unselfishly give and serve? We see that a lot, this blessed part. We see that a lot around the cathedral. People reaching out beyond themselves, helping one another, helping people who are in need. To go, to cross boundaries, listening deeply and living like Jesus. So I wonder to what new places or communities is the Spirit sending us to be the witness of love, justice, and truth? To rest. To receive the gift of God's grace and peace and restoration. The seed of rest to find times and ways and places for renewal. What might happen if we allow these seeds to germinate and grow within us, within each one of us, and within all of us, corporately? How different would our world look? if that was true. Bishop Curry ends with the following. Let us pray. May the God who formed all things in love draw you near to God's own heart 
empower you by the power of the Spirit to live the way of love with fellow travelers and send you to participate in the resurrection and healing of God's world. And may the blessing of our Lord, loving, liberating, and life-giving, be with us and remain with us forever and ever. Amen.